Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. This episode of Talking Sleep is brought to you in part by Avidel Pharmaceuticals. The content of this episode was independently developed by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. It takes a team to run a successful sleep center and provide the highest levels of patient care. And while you likely have certified or registered sleep technologists in your facility, there is another credential you should consider for your staff, the Certification in Clinical Sleep Health. To talk with us today about the CCSH credential is Andrea Ramberg. Andrea has spent more than a decade learning every component of polysomnography, from clinical diagnosis and education to critical thinking skills and creating proper treatment pathways. She is the customer success manager at Enzo Data and president elect of the board of registered polysomnographic technologists. Welcome to Talking Sleep, Andrea. Thanks, Seema. I'm honored to be here. So, talk to me about this CCSH credential. What exactly does it mean? You know, the credential is meant to be seen as a, an advanced level credential. So, when we were looking at what sleep technologists are doing in the field these days and, and how everything has shifted, we wanted to create something that met those needs, um, hence the certification in clinical sleep health. And really what we envision this is as it working closely with the sleep medicine patients, their families, you know, different medical disciplines to help educate and advocate for the importance of good sleep. So what can somebody who has this credential do? Within this credential, I see, you know, we throw out these titles all the time. And I think what's a little confusing is what does this title mean? You know, but I see, you know, the sleep navigators when the inpatient realm, uh, the sleep educators in your DME offices, and then the sleep coaches that are working with sleep psychologists uh, as being ideal for this CCSH credential. Okay, so this is collaborative, right? I mean, your role is to improve access to sleep care and kind of offload work from sleep physicians and APPs, right? Is, am I understanding this right? You're exactly right, Seema. You know, there has been such a massive need for sleep education in the inpatient world. And in my experience, the physicians and nurse practitioners who specialize in sleep medicine, they're often bombarded with different consult requests. You know, it could be as simple as someone who is non-compliant because they don't like their mask option or you know, they're struggling with, you know, getting new supplies and they don't like the pressure setting, you know, multiple different things. And a sleep navigator can help offload that work from their plate by helping troubleshoot some of that with that with their patients. So is there a difference then between a sleep navigator and the CCSH credential? Like, do you need do you need one to do the other? You know, we recommend that the CCSH credential exemplifies a certain skill set, right? And just as the RPSGT, you know, under this umbrella, you find the sleep technologists performing the nighttime studies and you see them scoring daytime studies or running different lab operations. And, you know, what we see as a sleep navigator is falling underneath this CCSH, you know, umbrella. The CCSH credential ensures that the sleep navigator has a proper skill set to handle this role. It 
offers a critical thinking skill set and understanding what that patient needs in that moment is so important. You know, um, for example, I, you know, was working with a patient that was admitted for fluid overload associated with his congestive heart failure. You know, I noted in his medical records, he has a history of obstructive sleep apnea, and it was recommended he should be using bilevel therapy. So before going up to see this patient, I, I knew that this could go multiple ways, right? You know, right. we all know. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. You never know. <laughs> but it's, you know, was he, the first question, was he using his machine? If not, you know, what's happening? Why? And also, you know, something that what I found with patients is, okay, fine. They got treated. They're on therapy. They don't realize that things could change in their health state, that they could have different disease states come on or whatever, that they might need to get reevaluated with it or even follow up with a physician with it. So, you know, asking, has anything changed in his medical history since his last study? Has he gained weight? And it's all those critical thinking skill sets that I think encompass the CCSH credential. And that's what this, you know, we help utilize that to be able to create that proper care plan and to discuss that with that physician group to help them understand the next best steps. Well, and it sounds like you're kind of engaging the patient with um, being maybe more in tune with their own health. And, um, you know, it's almost like you're bridging between sleep and sort of the behavioral sleep medicine components. Yeah, definitely. You know, and that patient also you know, he had a bunch of other things going on in his life. It's never as simple as just saying you have obstructive sleep apnea, you have to use your CPAP therapy and it's all, you know, never, never land. It's I sunshine think it, and roses, right? Exactly. <laughs> Rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I think there's a component with it. And after discussing, after talking with him a little bit more, um, I found out that he had been in a car accident. So that's why he had started sleeping on a recliner chair in his living room. And it was just so much easier to not drag his unit out there to use it. And then he just got used to it. And then when he tried using it again, it, he felt like it was too high a pressure. So a lot of that is looking at the behavioral component with a patient and understanding what components will help them stay compliant. You know, I think uh, sleep coaches can help focus on habits, the intrinsic motivations, you know, different behavioral changes and patient empowerment to take their own health into their hands. You know, it's important to understand it's not therapy or counseling and it's not CBT, but that we do work closely with the treating team to help the patient stick to health goals and by providing additional education and support that's needed. I love how you're really clear about that, that this is not in place of CBTI, but you're kind of using those same like almost techniques, right? And you're not necessarily doing CBTI for insomnia, but you're really highlighting for the patient why it's important to be adherent and talk me through what's not working for you and, you know, and that sort of thing. So I love that you've kind of carved out this other spot. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an, important to, to highlight, you know, what's inside our scope of practice and to help, you know, we're, we're here to work together with that treating team, you know, and not replace anything. So you're not an RT, right? I mean, what is your background? Like, how did you land here? How do we land anywhere? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like sleep out of any profession that I've I've worked in has always the most interesting stories of how people came into sleep. Um, I myself am a sleepwalker. 
And oh, I actually come cool. from a family of sleepwalkers. So my father, my brothers, and it, that always kind of intrigued me, you know, of trying to figure that out. And so I started going to school for psychology, but while working in finance and banking. So I was doing a little bit of everything, you know, learning loans, investments, you know, accounts, stuff like that, um, but never really quite felt like I was helping people, you know, that that component was gone. And I had a friend that was in this role who is currently working as a night sleep technologist. And they, at that time, they suggested I come in and, and shadow her and see what it was all about, you know, with my background and, and sleepwalking and all that. I just felt like, you know, it'd be curious if nothing else, I'd learn something. Right. Right. And I was hooked. It's like <laughs> the second that I saw the whole process and what we do. And, you know, I believe that night she had a split night and it was just one of those ideal patients, I guess, for a split night. But uh, it was just great to see, you know, and I that's what I love with sleep medicine in general is working with technologists all across the nation. Now, I love hearing their stories about how they came into sleep. And, you know, and it's always the same is that they become very passionate about sleep medicine. OK, so you started off in banking and then you kind of wound up with your photo on the cover of Sleep Review magazine a few years ago for your role in creating inpatient sleep programs. So talk to me a little bit about your experience with inpatient sleep medicine. It was a, a learning curve for me. <laughs> it's, uh, for all of us. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a whole different world. You know, I, I was an outpatient, right? Our sleep lab was not even located in the hospital setting. So I had no background in understanding the rhythms of a hospital system. Um, and I was amazed at the sheer number of patients that were flagged as at risk for sleep apnea, um, but more the number that had never been talked to about it or any kind of risk factors associated with it. And it was just an eye-opening experience for me to see just the sheer need of having that education point with those patients and, um, you know, understanding where they're working with that medical disciplines to create that, you know, care plan. And I think the role of the navigator helps bridge that gap to create the space for education about why they're at risk, you know, the signs and symptoms and what treatment options are available. Most had if they were flagged, it was a very brief, yeah, we think you're at risk for sleep apnea, follow up with your, you know, sleep medicine physician. And if the patient's not going to buy into it or not understand the importance of it, that falls, you know, they fall through the cracks with that. So I think spending the time to not only educate the patients, but also the staff about what to look for in their patient base and, and, you know, how to get them faster treatment, I think was was crucial. That's a really good point, because it isn't just about patient education, right? It's educating and really kind of empowering the staff then. Yeah. And, you know, something that I did with the nurses, too, is it's not only just identifying and you know, in creating that care plan, but also how are you going to keep them safe while, while they're in those four walls? So there's certain, you know, educational points that I did with the nurses, like utilizing CO2 monitoring to better identify hypoventilation early or, you know, shorter acting medicines since they can impact the respiratory stability. So there's those little educational points that I found, you know, were really beneficial to the medical staff and understanding. 
So I think I hear you talk about what, I mean, we could almost split it up into two issues, right? There's this need to identify and protect high-risk patients within the four walls of the hospital, right? But then there's this other component of potentially reducing readmissions by diagnosing and treating sleep apnea. So do I have that right? And, and, and how do you do this? How do you accomplish this? By being superhuman. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. How did I miss that? (laughs) You know, I can't stress enough how truly important it is to involve all different medical disciplines in this and departments when working with these programs, you know, uh, from the intake nurse that asks the questionnaires to screen, you know, and that also are taking care of the patient during their stay, you know, to the physician treating the patient and then also the social worker that's helping to facilitate discharge plans. You know, it's it takes a whole team to do this. It's not one single person. And that's where the term navigator comes, is it's navigating this throughout their care plan, navigating from the beginning to end. You know, every single one of these, so I worked with, you know, very closely in the inpatient setting, and it plays a huge part in the program. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about how to incorporate sleep navigators into a clinical practice. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Narcolepsy treatment is about to change, and Avidel Pharmaceuticals is leading the way. With our deep understanding of narcolepsy and unique drug delivery technology, we're committed to advancing narcolepsy treatment to make the dream of better days and nights a reality. Visit avidelfornarcolepsy.com to sign up for updates on our progress. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. We're speaking with Andrea Ramberg, president-elect of the BRPT, about their certification in clinical sleep health credential. So you kind of touched on this earlier. What do you mean about having to learn the language of inpatient medicine? You know, I'm glad that, you know, we're addressing this, Seema, because I, again, as I said, it was a learning curve for me and the outpatient realm just operates on a whole different rhythm than the inpatient world. You are working with patients that have scheduled this, that this is something they're planning in their day, all of it. And the inpatient world, it's not like that at all. You know, they're, they're there maybe for elective surgery, but most times it's they do not want to be there. They, you know, and the rhythm and the whole pace of it is much more fast paced. And, um, you know, and it was understanding how I fit into this mold. You know, most times sleep is seen as something to take care of while an outpatient and therefore why I would get looked at all the time. Why does this have to do with what we're doing right now with my patient? You, you know, know, that's a that's a really good point because I think a lot of us have just kind of, um, you know, through our training, we have all this exposure to inpatient medicine and we probably don't spend enough time recognizing the difference and the cadence and like you said, the language of inpatient versus outpatient. So I can imagine just sort of dropping in and trying to navigate and trying to learn that without that that previous exposure. Yeah. And I found, you know, taking the time to to listen and learn from other medical disciplines, listen to the physicians and the nurses and the respiratory therapists and to find, okay, you know, when timing with your patients, when is a great time? When are they receptive to talking? When do you have that bandwidth to have this for me? And also to help them understand what an untreated sleep apnea patient could mean 
to their own treatment plan with that patient. You know, it just helped them, you know, help their patients better and understand their patients better. So I'm trying to picture this, you know, when you talked about nurse education, I mean, they're so, so, so busy. So how do you accomplish nurse education? Do you set aside time? Are these modules? I mean, how do you wrap your brain around that? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I worked with um, the director of nursing to create kind of an in-session program. So it was time set aside for the nurses to leave their, you know, their pod or their, you know, work and, and to come learn and, and develop their, their program and, and stuff like that. So what I did with them is I created a brief presentation uh, designed to give them, you know, kind of understand what OSA is, the physiology behind it, and then what comorbid conditions that they see in their patients every day, you know, that what it's associated with it. And then, you know, to the point that I made earlier, educated on what can be done to keep these high-risk patients safe while in the hospital, you know, and then what what happens to these patients once they're discharged? So how does, I have this patient complaining about their CPAP. What does this care plan look like? What are the, some of the troubleshooting that you do with them? Um, you know, and it helps them identify the certain signs and symptoms in their patient base and, and helps them make those proper referrals a little bit more accurately. So you're kind of empowering the nursing staff then. Definitely. I always say, Again, I can't, it takes an army to do this. And I often called, you know, the other medical staff kind of my my army in a sense, because once I educated them, it was like then they would what the coolest part is then they would start educating their patients or they would know, hey, have you ever to ask, have you ever been, you know, talked to about sleep apnea or I have just the person to, you know, to come talk to you about it. So it was almost like I had I couldn't be everywhere. You know, and, and I think it's, you know, with the concept of being stretched thin, but it was really helpful to have, you know, that group. So they were pretty receptive then. Yeah, in fact, they loved it. They were like, we've been waiting forever for a role like this because most people didn't have the answers for them of what to do with these type of patients. And, you know, we finally had somebody in the role with the clinical background that knew exactly what, how to identify these patients and what to do with them. You know, a friend of mine, um, Dr. Jasbal Singh, I think you know him too. He routinely talks about how to incorporate sleep navigators into a clinical practice. And so when he, and I've seen him do this for years. And so when he lectures on this topic, you know, after the, after the lecture, people come up, right. And they have questions and they always have questions about these um, really specific things. And so in sort of listening to all these questions, my takeaway is that everybody wants a sleep navigator for inpatient sleep or outpatient sleep or what have you, but no one wants to pay for them. <laughs> so how do you navigate this? I mean, is there sort of an expectation that these programs generate revenue? I mean, is it about improving flow or reducing readmissions? I mean, is there, is there a billable component to this? Yeah, you know, Seema, I often get asked the very same thing. <laughs> I think we're in this together here. <laughs> um, but getting the program started it can involve a lot of red tape and finding the right individual to say yes isn't always easy. You know, when I would consult with hospitals and sleep labs to start this program, I would start by finding out what their goal of the program is. You know, are readmissions an issue? Do they want to implement a more robust patient safety program? Are they seeing the need for identifying the untreated patient population and getting them the proper care plan? 
you know, it often involves getting multiple departments involved and the right people to help push the program along. I think it's about first finding out what problem they're looking to solve and then catering your solutions to that problem. So then you probably have to figure out what the problem is, right? Because a lot of this is under the radar. Yes, definitely. And I think to some extent, you know, a lot of hospital groups don't even know this type of program exists. So it's almost about finding, you know, bringing that data, bringing those numbers, you know, bringing other examples. And I always love, you know, Sleep Review has been a great partner in in publishing all these different programs and examples for everybody to get an idea of, hey, they're doing it. Let's see if we could do it here. So you are president-elect of the BRPT. Congratulations. Tell me about some of the projects that you have planned. Thank you, Seema. You know, it's it's something that you volunteer because you're passionate about what you do and and you get to meet all these really cool people. And I've often said, if I'm the smartest one in the room, I'm in the wrong room. So <laughs> I have learned a tremendous amount of, you know, from the individuals that I've gotten to work with. And, you know, I'm just thrilled to be given the opportunity, you know, to to further that. So um, you know, my goals are really to continue advocating for these new roles in sleep medicine for sleep technologists and and finding avenues to explore that offer support from allied medical health fields and finding ways to get the CCSH recognized as a qualified health professional by payers. You know, I think to your point earlier, are any of these services billable? And and it's a mixed response with that. I have some groups that are getting paid and some groups that aren't. And I think my main goal is to figure out why and and to push that along. Well, and I think that was an important part of the discussion, right? If you have something that's billable, this is a much easier program than to implement, I would imagine. Definitely. Yeah. It's a lot easier to find that ROI. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've talked about this over the years, you know, this kind of need to future-proof our sleep technologists. We see all of these advancements in technology and AI-assisted or augmented scoring, and a lot of technologists are naturally worried that they will be replaced. So is this a credential that they should consider pursuing? Yeah, you know, definitely. We have all seen how technology has increased access to to care this past year and a half through telehealth. You know, you yourself have has done so much with that. And and we were able to find ways to pivot in a time where it, nobody knew <laughs> up from down. <laughs> and, you know, and I think technology has helped us improve outcomes and enhance patient and, and physician satisfaction. We've watched as HSTs have shifted how we diagnose patients and and all the sleep trackers now available help to bring sleep into the forefront of wellness and this preventative care model that we're really trying to push. So this inevitably has shifted the field and what roles are necessary to keep up with it. I believe the CCSH is a credential that will ensure that you are prepared for such roles, you know, to take on all this different, you know, roles that were in technology shifts that we're seeing. So if I am a sleep technologist, for example, how do I go about getting this CCSH credential? That's a great question, Seema. You know, there's three different pathways that you can get this credential. Uh, two of the pathways involve a higher education degree. So a medical background, other medical discipline background, or a, a bachelor's or an associate's degree. 
uh, last year, you know, we recently opened up a third pathway that will allow you to sit for an educational program. And then after that, be able to sit through the third pathway for that CCSH credential. You know, one of our technologists did it during pandemic. She was furloughed and she wound up doing it and getting her CCSH credential. Yeah, that's great. You know, we've we've seen that a lot, you know, especially as they saw that huge shift and how quickly their roles could shift with, mm. you know, things that are out of their control. This was something that technologists really felt that then they could take back the control over, you know, and really empower themselves to create this new future for themselves. Well, I love that it, it you've made it very accessible for people too. Yeah, definitely. We want to give them, you know, to help them evolve into the future of sleep medicine. So if if I wanted to pursue or learn more about the CCSH credential, is there a website or, or somewhere I should go to learn more about it? Definitely. Um, any individual who wants to find out a little bit more information, any study materials, all of that, they're all available at www.brpt.org. You know, one of the things I really have appreciated, you know, I, I think I've told you before, I'm a silver lining girl So with all of the pandemic and lockdown and so on and so forth. One of the things that I've really appreciated is this idea of collaboration, right? Like with the COVID, you know, they sequenced the genome early and they shared that and everybody worked on, you know, common goals. And to me, that was really inspiring. And I think we're seeing this throughout different organizations. You know, the ASM collaborates with all of these different societies. So I'm wondering how you see maybe the ASM collaborating with the BRPT. Yeah, I love that. You know, we are stronger together. And I think if anything of what we've learned this past year and a half through all of this is that we have to work together if we're going to come out on the other side of this. And the ASM is such a strong ally for the BRPT in our fight to get the CCSH recognized as a qualified health professional by payers and, it, you know, to help develop the future of sleep medicine. You know, I believe together we can help nourish these new roles and really help define them and also support each other in advancing the field for sleep physicians and sleep technologists. Well, it sounds like we're creating just this richer um group of people then a richer group of clinicians to help take care of our patients definitely yeah and we're helping to ensure that they have the right tools in order to be successful too i think that's important you know we have to make sure that they feel you know prepared for all these changes that are coming so to that end if somebody's interested in the ccsh credential i understand the CCSH conference, um, September 15th and 16th, will people be able to view this on demand? Yeah, most definitely. You know, this is our first annual, and I think this has been a passion project of mine for many, many years, and I am super excited to see it come to fruition. Uh, you know, the conference will be on demand following, you know, the, the live of it, the streaming of it, and follow the www.behavioralsleep.org for more information to follow and, and when and how to access that. Oh, so it's the first conference. That's really exciting. Definitely. Yeah. My, my, my plans is to make this the first of many. I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. Andrea, final thoughts? 
You know, I think we're at a time where we have all this access to more data. And, you know, with that data comes more ways in which we can find, you know, ways to help solve these problems. And I challenge technologists to find ways in which they can do things differently in their own lab. You know, where where do they see the opportunity to solve a problem and create new solutions? This data that we're able to to sit on now and develop, there's so many good things that, you know, can come from that, you know, with the advancements in technology. And I think it's just going to help facilitate that change. You know, I believe that CCSH credential is a change agent with the opportunity to influence such organizational change. And we can help coordinate that patient care to improve outcomes for patients and for sleep medicine in general. Andrea, you're so inspiring. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Seema. Thanks for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well. <laughs>